0: on this dark morning uh, to come join us if you're a guest here today we're glad that you're here we want to get to know you we want to help you get to know cbc and so as you see on the screen there we've tried to make that simple you can text the keyword CBC connect to the number 97000 and that will get a link to a link back to you to our connection card. Just use that. There are check boxes. Check the items that you'd like to know more about. If you have a question not on the check boxes, use the space provided to ask us anything you'd like and we'll get back to you. We're glad that you're here today and I encourage you if it's your first time with us today, stop by the welcome desk before you leave. Let them know you're a guest and they have a gift to give you to say thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, We're going to start off our service this morning by going through some announcements. We've got some things we want to make sure that you're aware of, and if you want to follow along, I've got most of these listed on the back of the outline you received on your way in. You can look on the back of that. It's nice, convenient. You can save your notes and hang this on the fridge to uh, see what's coming up in the near term. But I want to highlight one thing that's not on there. It's just a, an announcement, general announcement, and that is uh, the Downriver Pregnancy Resource Center uh, is in need of donations. This is a ministry that we participate with with Evangel Baptist in Taylor. And uh, they're in big need of newborn and zero to three-month winter clothes and sleepers. They need for both boys and girls, but I believe they're totally out of uh, the girls. I forget which one, actually. I think it's in the email that I'm going to send out tomorrow. Uh, Check that if you want to know specifically, but they're in need of both of them so if you have any that you're finished with and would like to donate sarah andrews is happy to collect those and deliver them and uh, her email address will be in that newsletter tomorrow so just check that you can click on it to email or if you'd like to help out by the way if you're not receiving our uh, weekly newsletter we send that out every monday tells you all of these upcoming events and other announcements at cbc if you don't get that use this connection card and check the box that says add me to your mailing list and then let me give you some updates of other things uh, on our schedule. And I'll start with this morning in our second hour, Pastor Ken will be concluding his Discovering God series, God's Design for Sexuality. So that's last uh, session of that is this morning in this room at 11.15. So I invite you to stick around for that. And then tonight is our annual Christmas fellowship. That's tonight at 6 p.m. This is always a fun time of fellowship and entertainment. Uh, We spend the whole first part of the evening just enjoying a meal together and uh, by way of reminder, we ask for uh, all families with last names A through L to bring a dessert and M through Z to bring an appetizer. That's supposed to be something, either one of those dessert or appetizer that is suited for 12 to 15 adults just to make sure we've got enough to pass around. CBC is providing the beverages as well as the main uh, dish. And uh, we look forward to a fun time tonight. We'll have all the contests that you're used to. We'll have some games, some old, some new. And uh, we'll have the uh, first annual slash last annual CBC talent show as a part of it as well. It's going to be fun. And uh, it's for adults only, so we don't have child care for that. So just be aware of that as well. So that's tonight here at 6 p.m. And then just a reminder that all of our midweek programs are on mid-semester break until late January. So no midweek programs Uh, this Wednesday night. Just make sure you uh, remember that, uh, or it'll be a lonely Wednesday night for you here at the Ministry Center. And then also a schedule note, just, uh, just one morning service the next two Sundays. So as you see on the screen there, December 24th and 31st, we'll have one morning service, and it's at a different time than our usual morning service. It's at 1030. So enjoy a little time with your family or sleeping in before service, and then we'll see you at 1030 next Sunday morning for worship. And then on Sunday night, January 14th at 6 p.m., we're going to be having a special dessert fellowship. This is to uh, celebrate Pastor Rich and Tracy Carrico's ministry at CBC since really before the start of CBC. So they're heading to a new ministry role serving at Refuge Church in Detroit. So mark your calendar for January 14th, 6 p.m., to come and uh, celebrate their ministry with us and, and look forward, sharing testimonies and looking forward to the ministry they have ahead of them. And then our children's and junior high programs, you'll see on the list they're gonna be resuming on January 24th. And then something special that same night for our adults and senior high students, we'll have Jonathan Lehman, uh, here to speak to us on the topic of maintaining Christian witness in a polarized political age. So he's a pastor uh, as well as a, an editor for a Nine Marks ministry, and then he's an author of several books that uh, would make him very well suited to help us think through this topic. So that's January uh, 24th. And then the following week on January 31st, all of our midweek programs will be back up and running. So our Adults uh, Community Institute program and our Senior High Teen program in addition to the ones that began the week before. And then one more note, ladies, our Heart to Heart Ministry will be having their annual Favorite Thing Party on Friday night, January 26th at 7 p.m. So mark your calendars for that and there will be more information coming about that in the weeks to come. So all of these events and things that I mentioned are available at our church website, cbctrenton.com. If you need more specific information, use that connection card to reach out to us. Now let's stand together and begin worshiping the Lord together in song.
1: For the last several weeks, just a small excerpt as we begin to think about singing and as we sing about the blessing that we have in the coming of God's Son, Jesus Christ. In the mystery of his incarnation, the only begotten of the Father increased what was ours, but diminished not what was his. And in Psalm 107, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. So let's sing together joy to the world.
2: Our Father, we stand before you as the undeserving recipients of your grace. The fact that we can address you as our Father is an evidence of that grace, for we were all at one time outside your family and were estranged from you without hope and without God in the world. But you have adopted us into your family, having made the unworthy to be worthy by giving us righteousness that's not our own but that of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that it's by grace that we have been saved. Through faith in that, not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. It's not by works, as your word says, so that no one can boast before you. And your saving grace is ongoing in our lives, as it does, as your word says, teaching us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in the present age. And Father, we look forward to your grace to us in the future. And so we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we thank you for your past, present, and future grace to your people. But Father, help us to rehearse that grace in our minds regularly, lest we forget that by definition, this grace is undeserved and it's unearned. It was even unwanted before your spirit changed our hearts. And thereby may we, your people, be people of compassion toward others who need your grace, no matter who they are or what they have done, because we are no more deserving than they. And so we're here to praise and thank you for your marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, Father. We ask that you accept our worship, and we ask that you will be pleased with it, and we pray all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you, and please be seated. And I add my welcome to that which you have already received from Pastor Larry. At this point in our service, we are going to worship the Lord through the means of giving back to Him a portion of what He has entrusted to us. And so this is worship through giving, we call it. So our guys are going to come forward so that we can collect that offering. We're going to do two things at the same time. They're going to pass the the plate in just a moment and then while that's happening every now and then uh this week and i think two weeks from now we're gonna have another video but periodically we have a, a very short video while the offering is received those videos will focus on a member testimony sometimes a ministry of the church spotlighting it today we're going to be looking at one of our missionaries and be reminded of their work that of joel and uh, Shelley compton who are serving the lord in turkey as the offering goes, those of you who are here as guests for the first time do not feel obligated to give. Just pass that basket to the person next to you. For those who will be participating, may the Lord bless you as you give.
3: and ...where we are in Turkey, like a, a desert flower, really. I mean, we look at ourselves as people who are seeking to see those uh, desert flowers bloom. We have great hope that that God can do it and is doing it in in this part of the world. Uh, Ever since I was a little boy, I've wanted to be a missionary. And my wife, she would say the same thing um, about herself. We got married in 2004 and then began uh, to plan to to do uh, Muslim ministry, Muslim missions uh around that time through uh, wayne state and ministries from in, in, in my home church inner city baptist church we were able to experience ministry firsthand with muslims so in 2010 we moved here four years were spent learning the language listening to people uh, in the in their culture and and, and having lots of influence from. Turkish Christians as well. One particular Turkish Christian invited us to, to help plant a church. And so we began to work with him in 2014, and they continued to work with him all the way until 2019. And uh, that church ended up merging with another church and kind of got more or less swallowed up with in that other church. But in 2019, uh, we felt the Lord leading us into moving out and doing our own church plant and so uh, we connected with uh, different people and found out that there is a what's called a bible correspondence course and so what happens is is that this bible correspondence course advertises uh, new testaments in various locations on youtube or facebook or different places on the internet and then if uh, if the people who are requesting those uh, Bibles, those, those New Testaments, um, depending on where they live, they'll fall into a different uh, area of, of, a, of a person who follows up with them. So, the area where we live, um, we found out that there was no one who was following up with the request for New Testaments. And so, we decided to begin to follow up with those people uh, in, in, that, in that district. It's called Sariash, and it's at the corner of the Bosphorus and the Black Sea on the European side. So we are planting a church here in this district. Sarıyer is one of the 39 municipalities of Istanbul. There is, as far as we understand, there are no other churches in Sarıyer, and so right now we have, um, you know, started a church. We have two members along with my family and uh, the Thompsons, uh, who are our ministry partners. And then beyond that, there's four or so people who are who have come as well on a semi-regular basis. And so the challenges I would say in, involved with ministry in a in this part of the world would be the the majority faith here is Islam and Islam teaches that you don't need to rely on somebody else for your salvation. The other competitor would just be like secularism if you come offering a, a religious uh, package to them. They kind of sniff it out and, and think that it, it reminds them of of what they've just you know left in terms of uh, Islam. So our ministry is uh, is going well. Uh, the Lord is, has been good and He's taken care of us and He's taken care of the, the people that we are ministering to and we've seen growth in them. We want to stay in Turkey as long as we as we can. There's so much work to do because we are, we come from Inner City Baptist Church, we're not able to spend as much time at Community Bible as, as potentially other workers might be able to spend, but that doesn't mean that we don't think and pray for you, and, and I wanna emphasize that, you know, that we are praying for the work there, and we're, we're very thankful, and we welcome anyone who is interested in coming over, to come over and visit with us. I think we're gonna continue to try to 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 disciple our people and and hopefully at the end of the you know I say just say 10 years you know we can see a solid work established that then we can move on from and, and start another one so that would be that would be my goal let's see if God's plans are the same as mine that's the big question
0: begin reading in verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel, And be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the lord the god of your ancestors promised you hear o israel the lord our god the lord is one love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength these commandments that i give you today are to be on your hearts impress them on your children Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of goods, things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olives you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Let's stand once again and continue singing praise to the Lord.
2: turn in your Bibles to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. You'll need a Bible. So these brothers have some. They're going to make their way toward the back. And as they do, if you need a Bible, just get their attention. And those Bibles are our gift to you. Keep it. It's marked for you at Psalm 78, so you don't need to fumble around to find the passage. Psalm 78 today. The Bible's storyline features a series of episodes that highlight The cycle of God's grace, human sin, God's judgment, and then God's grace again, over and over. Grace, sin, judgment, grace. We cover that in our core class that we teach in our institute, how to get the most out of your Bible. And so the Bible begins with God's grace to humanity, our first parents, Adam and Eve, in a perfect environment, and God's presence with them. And yet we know that grace was followed by their sin, despite all of that. And among the judgment that God meted out to the man and the woman, he offered a promising note of grace again, saying this in Genesis chapter 3. I will put enmity between you, that is the serpent, embodying Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. God graciously promised that one would come through the seed of the woman who will be the solution to the judgment caused by sin. This promise of special offspring seems like it might be fulfilled when Adam and Eve have a son. The next chapter says Eve became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. So perhaps one of these two will be the promised seed that will crush Satan. Nah. Instead, we see the grace, sin, judgment, grace cycle again. The product of the very first birth in human history, Cain, turns out to be a murderer. In judgment, God casts him out of his presence to be a wanderer on the earth, but God has not given up on humanity, and he will fulfill his promise of the one to come. And so, the story goes on to say, Eve gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So, okay. Okay. We're good to go. Nah. Humanity becomes so corrupt that two chapters later, the Bible says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. But God's grace is demonstrated again, and humanity will survive, even if barely at this point, as God graciously saves Noah and his family from the worldwide flood of judgment. So now we can start over and all will be well. Now, humanity rebels again against God at Babel, building a tower to honor themselves, and God judges by confounding their language and separating them. But yet again, God's grace is seen as the focus of the story takes a crucial turn in God's call of Abram to be the father of his new people, his new nation. And now that it's been narrowed again to one line, to whom astounding promises have been made, they will live happily ever after. Now, in the latter part of the first book of the Bible, Genesis, we see the sin of Abraham's descendants when his great-grandsons sell their brother Joseph to slave traders, and they all end up in Egypt where the Jews will be in slavery for 400 years. But God graciously raised up a deliverer in Moses, performed mighty miracles that compelled the king of Egypt to release them, and they set out on a journey to the land that God had promised to Abraham. Surely now, after 400 years in slavery, the people for whom God has done these signs and wonders will devote themselves to Him. No. They sinned in failing to trust God's power to take the land as He had commanded. Instead, they sent a spy expedition for 40 days to see if it could really be pulled off, and they decided against what God had said. And so they are consigned to wander in the wilderness, for how long? For 40 years. Why? One year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins. But even in that judgment, God's grace is abundant as he provides food for them, gives them his law, instructions for how to worship him in the mobile tabernacle, and most of all, his very presence in the visible signs of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The Bible says, neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Now at this point, perhaps you are wondering why we turn to Psalm 78 (laughs) and how it is that we will ever get there. If I'm going to go through episodes in each book of the Bible up to the Psalms, and you may have noticed that this Psalm itself has 72 verses, and so we will never make it. Well, I gave those to show just the beginning of the grace, sin, judgment, grace cycle. And that continues throughout the rest of the first part of your Bible, the Old Testament. And because the release from Egypt and wandering in the wilderness are referenced in Psalm number 78, I wanted to recount that as well, but also for two other reasons. One, so that you know that you are not unique in your sin struggles, (laughs) As the Bible is replete with people like us, in the cycle in which, thanks be to God, His grace is greater than our sin. You see it over and over. Secondly, these stories, one after the other in Scripture, are designed for us to learn from others' mistakes. So the New Testament tells us, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So you have heard me say over the years that, as others have had for many years, experience is the best teacher. But I add especially when it's someone else's experience. And this morning we want to learn from the past to our benefit. And you see in the outline that you received when you came in that each that the title of this message is is learning from the past. And each of the outline points begins with, you, we should consider the past. And then we'll see the reasons. Let's bow now and ask God to help us. Father, we thank you that we are here and we have your book opened in front of us. Thank you for instructing us. Thank you for instructing us in your work, in your world, in history, with your people, We thank you for including these episodes as a means of endurance, as your word says, an encouragement to us so that we might have hope. And so I pray as we look at Psalm number 78 that you have preserved for us for this very reason, that we might leave understanding that you really do hate sin and you push it back, you cut it away, you discipline and you judge because you desire and deserve to have the full love and devotion of your people. Help us then to be people who are determined to give that to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now we have seen that the book of Psalms is comprised of these five collections of Psalms, each of which has a different emphasis. And we are in with Psalm number 78, book number three. It's in that third book, which is really a third movement in the five-part cantata that is the book of Psalms. With this particular book or movement, definitely the most somber and sad. Its focus on sin and its effects is designed to crescendo by the time we get to the final book into a chorus of praise. Praise that's all the more sweet when seen against the backdrop of how things could be apart from God's grace. Even so, in these otherwise minor key songs, there are glimmers of hope in keeping with that grace, sin, judgment, grace cycle. So let's consider the past, I say first of all in your outline, for instruction. Verse 1, my people hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. The leader of worship, Asaph, if you look at the top, this is another psalm of Asaph, And we saw a couple of weeks ago that Asaph was part of the group that was designated to direct worship in Israel. And he summons this privileged congregation to hear and listen. Why should you hear and listen? Because you're part of the people, you're part of the story, you're part of something larger than yourself. Because you have a place in God's plan as his people. And here we are now today in assembly and to learn how best to move forward and to flourish and to avoid pitfalls as God's special possession, His people. And because you are part of this special group, you have incentive to hear, listen. Listen to what? Hear what? It's my teaching. It's the words of my mouth the content of which is identified in verses 2 and 3 as hidden things and things from of old, things you have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. So this psalm is going to rehearse things that they know about but need to be reminded of. It includes hidden things, which are part of what they've heard and known and been taught, but they deal with the unfolding of the mysterious ways of God, that we would not know unless God revealed them in his dealings with his people. And so this psalm is a history lesson, but it's a a personal one. One of which we are part as members of the people of God, and therefore we should give ear and hear and listen and apply. So that we can, as I say in the outline, compare it to our generation compare what we see here to where we are. These phrases about the past, God's ways, and things of old, things we've heard, things that we've been told, they are headlined at the beginning of verse 2 as a parable. Now, many of us are familiar with the parables of Jesus, for instance, and we know those to be stories to illustrate a larger truth. But the word parable literally means to place beside, To cast next to and the idea here is that these things we've learned before and will rehearse now are to be brought beside our own situation so that we can as I say in the outline compare compare where they've been compare what they did compare what happened to them to where we are that is we should use these prior examples And then the stories of God's dealings with his people in the grace judgment, grace cycle in order to learn and do better. Those who fail to learn from history are destined to repeat it. Now that's the negative side, that there will be ill consequences for failure to think about and apply the lessons of the past. But those lessons are not all bad because for those in God's story, they, as the cycle includes twice, grace, sin, judgment, grace again, they always include God's grace. So we not only remember to avoid, we rehearse to advance. We not only remember to avoid things, we remember so that we can, so that we can advance. If our past was all stories of sin, what not to do, then it would be depressing indeed. But though we're in the story and privileged to be, we are thankfully not the center of the story God is, and He is good even when we are evil, and we see that in the Bible, and we see that in our own lives. So compare what God did in the past to what God has continued to do in your life. So just pause for a moment and think about that. What has God done and what is God doing in your life? Show me an ungrateful person and I will show you a forgetful one. And we are prone to forget from where we have come and what God has done for us. It's why the Lord's table is observed for the very purpose of remembering do this in remembrance of me. That means thinking about the whole story of who he is and what he has done for us. We think about what God has recorded in the past about his dealings with other of his people so that we can compare that to his dealings with us so that we can remember and then return and rejoice. And so we consider the past for instruction, comparing it to our generation, to our situation, and then we Secondly, teach it to the next generation. Verse 4. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power, and the wonders that He has done. You know, one of the problems with Sunday school is that too many times it's only on Sunday. And so what our children hear on Sunday is so different from what they see and hear at home, they really don't believe it. Now I heard this story some years ago of a young man, he went a boy he went to Sunday school, he comes out, and as parents are wont to do, so what'd you learn today? And it's usually the generic God and Jesus. You know, so parents pull it out of them, okay? And they, but this, this kid was full of details. And he said, you know, we learned the story of Moses and the Israelites, and they came out of Egypt, and they came across this body of water, and they couldn't get across. So Moses got all the engineers and architects together, and they built a bridge, and they all went across. And then Pharaoh's people were coming after him, and so they had loaded some dynamite underneath the thing, and they blew it up, and those guys all died. And the parents were like, they taught you that in Sunday school? And the child said, no, but you wouldn't believe what they told me. But you know, on a serious note, do we believe it? And do we live like we believe it? And do our children know that we believe it? Why, Dad, do I have to spend 45 minutes listening to a guy talk about stuff that's irrelevant to me? I asked Jesus into my heart when I was seven, so I'm going to heaven, but life is not what I hear on Sunday. And over the next 70 years, they're going to be spent out there, not in Sunday school, so it's just a boring waste of time. What do you say, Dad? Your kids go through the motions because you do. And both are because it's only something you do on Sunday. It's not rehearsed and made real Monday through Saturday. If you don't have parents whose love for the Lord and devotion for the Lord is obvious, and in a two-person home, I'm picking on dad because that should be especially dad, then your children are likely to see it as just religious busy work. But if it's personalized, thanks be to God, it comes alive for them. Retelling how God saved you has worked in your life to mold you, and why, therefore, you owe your life to Christ and you gladly give it. So we have two reasons for recounting to the next generation. One is because God in verse 4 has commanded it, but verse 5, he decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. So statutes for Jacob and law for Israel, those are the same thing. Jacob is Israel, you may remember. Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, his name was changed by God to Israel. And Jacob's 12 sons are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what Pastor Larry read earlier from Deuteronomy chapter 6. I delightfully and and thankfully had some time ago, recently a brother in our church tell me that he and his family try to gather Sunday afternoon to talk about what they heard and what it means for their family. You go, dad. That's exactly it. That's exactly right. And then there's a second reason, and that's because of the effect that it has on us. Verse 7. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to Him. That's God's design. That's God's intention. That's God's normal pattern. It is not a guarantee. Ezekiel chapter 18 says there are times when a violent man will have a righteous son and times when a righteous man will have a a violent son. But the pattern is. That God is pleased to use the influence of one generation to form the next generation. And by God's grace, that's what we should desire as a church and in our homes. So we should consider the past for instruction and for, I say in your outline, remembrance. The first eight verses of the psalm are a kind of preamble. The introduction that tells you what the purpose of the remaining verses are. We've seen that it's to remind so that we can avoid and advance. And the rest of the psalm then details all of that with lessons from the past that we'll cover more quickly. In verses 9 through 16, they're about one of the 12 sons of Jacob that I mentioned just a bit ago, Ephraim. And why that tribe of people did not live up to what God had designed for them. Verse 9, the men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and they refused to live by His law. And the result is what we find at the end of the psalm. If you look down toward the bottom at verse 60, six zero. 0 It says, he, the Lord, abandoned the tabernacle of Shiloh. Now, Shiloh was the center of worship after the nation finally did end that 40-year wandering and entered the promised land. And Shiloh was located in the portion of the land allotted to the tribe of Ephraim. And then if you look further down at the end of verse 67, God did not choose the tribe of Ephraim. But he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. And so the center of worship in Ephraim was replaced and moved to Mount Zion in the tribe of Judah. And we're told why it happened. Back up toward the top now. Verse 11. Why did it happen? Verse 11. They forgot. They forgot what he had done. The wonders he had shown them. These wonders, which back in verse 4, we're told to recount regularly, they failed to rehearse, and so life became, rather than God-centered, it became man and this life-centered. The specific praises they abandoned Or about what I mentioned earlier in the introduction about God's grace to His people. Even after they sinned. And so I had to wander in the wilderness. And they sinned some more while there. And God still did wonders before them. And they treated it all lightly by forgetting. So verse 12 says, He did miracles in the sight of their ancestors in the land of Egypt. He divided the sea and led them through. He made the water stand up like a wall. He guided them with the cloud by day and the light from the fire all night. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them water as abundant as the seas. He brought streams out of a rocky crag and made water flow down like rivers. So in the midst of God's fidelity to them, they demonstrated infidelity to Him. In the midst of His faithfulness, They demonstrated unfaithfulness. But it was not for lack of what God had done. It was for lack of appreciation for what God had done, gratitude for what God had done. And so we should consider, friends, the past for the purpose of instruction, for remembrance, and thirdly, for warning. The tribe of Ephraim is just one example because this next section recounts that the entire nation found itself complaining and disbelieving God. This section has to do with their complaints about the food in the wilderness. Verse 18 says, they willfully put God to the test by demanding the food they craved. Now, the problem was not that they they wanted food. Certainly, that was a reasonable expectation. God had put them in the desert, and that it was a reasonable expectation that He would provide them food for them. And in fact, He did in the manna that He gave. And in fact, the manna was just fine. How do I know this? Verse 25 says this, is, this food was the bread of angels that they had. But they wanted something more and different, which meant they were in effect demanding that God do a miracle for them now we'll see what the problem with that is in a moment let me just stop here and have you consider as I do for myself how often are we not grateful and content for what God has given instead we will only be content when he gives something else and that's precisely what they did and in their case They're demanding not only that God give something else, but that he do a miracle to give it. God gave a miracle with the manna that showed up every day, but now they're so presumptuous as to demand another. And this is precisely what Jesus refused to do when Satan challenged Jesus to jump from the pinnacle of the temple to test God's ability to save him from death. You all remember that? But Jesus said, it is written, do not put the Lord your God the test. The people of Israel were seeking to require God to do what he had not promised to do. And so then when he did not do it, they questioned his ability. Maybe the reason he's not doing it is because he can't. Now just, just pause and wonder. The things that have been recounted that were done for them and their ancestors and have been passed on for generations, all the way down to our day. And you have people wondering, wonder if God can really do this. Verse 19, they spoke against God. They said, can God really spread a table in the wilderness? Or verse 20, True, he struck the rock and water gushed out. Streams flowed abundantly, but can he also give us bread? Can he supply meat for his people? Grace, sin, judgment. And God did, in fact, give meat, causing flying birds to descend on their camp so that they could have as many as they could catch and eat. But God was angered by their ingratitude, and He judged them by making them sick on the birds. Verse 31. He put to death the sturdiest among them, cutting down the young men of Israel. Grace, sin, judgment. Why did God do this? He did this to teach the next generation, to warn the next generation, But it only helps if we recount that, if we recount and remember that sin has a price, sometimes very high, and that God desires and deserves our allegiance, and He will do what's necessary for us to realize His value and to realize the error of our way. And when He does so, that too is a matter of God's grace, to bring us back to our senses so that we can be brought back to Him. We should consider the past to be instructed, to remember, to be warned, and for gratitude. At first, this judgment that God desires to move them forward, to bring them back, appeared to have its desired effect. Verse 34. Whenever God slew them, they would seek Him. They eagerly turned to Him again. They remembered that God was their rock, that God Most High was their Redeemer. All right. Now we're going to move forward and all will be well. Nah. Verse 36. But then they would flatter Him with their mouths, lying to Him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to Him, They were not faithful to his covenant. Grace, sin, judgment. But more grace. Verse 38. Yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time he restrained his anger and did not stir up his full wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh a passing breeze that does not return. It says he he did not, the end of verse 38 or middle of verse 38, did not destroy them. And this is a matter of God's mercy. He was merciful and therefore did not destroy them. But see, friends, you will only see that as merciful and gracious if you understand that destruction, destroying us, is actually the way it ought to be. See one of the reasons we are not grateful is because we believe we deserve more than we do. But the Bible teaches that we have all committed cosmic treason against God. And God is not obligated to rescue anyone. God could be justified in destroying all of us. And so it is him Being merciful that he did not destroy. It's only seen as gracious if you believe that that's what's deserved. Then you'll be grateful for every spiritual blessing you have and every single breath that you're able to take. We've got to change our perspective. And that's what the Bible is calling us to do. So that we are indeed the grateful people. That, he hit, that we ought to be in light of what He has done for us. We should consider the past for instruction and remembrance and warning and, yes, gratitude. And then also for sanity. That is, so that we are not doing the same stupid, sinful things over and over and expecting a different result isn't that the definition of insanity so the reason then that we consider the past is so that we don't repeat the pattern break the mold break the pattern one commentator says of this next section think back on what god has done so far we were reminded that he had done miracles but the people had forgotten them We've been reminded that God provided for the people's needs abundantly, but they had remained unsatisfied. We were reminded of God's just judgments, which only produced a false repentance. In fact, not even His mercy was effective. In spite of His mercy, the people often rebelled against Him, verse 40, rebelled against Him in the desert and grieved Him in the wasteland. And so you have miracles, and you have provision, and you have judgment, and you have mercy. You have these four great actions, and yet in spite of them, the outcome is rebellion and unbelief. Now, how is that possible? The answer is in verse 42, which is perhaps the most important verse in the entire psalm. It says, verse 42, they did not remember his power the day he redeemed them from the oppressor. Are you saved? Are you born again? Do you have a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ? Then He has redeemed you from the oppressor. By His power, something that only He could do we look back in the first part of the Bible and we look at the signs and the wonders and we say, man, if that happened, I would just be following God. And what God did in saving you is a greater miracle than all of those. They had forgotten God's redemption and too often that's what we do. They had forgotten what God did on their behalf. Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner says if redemption itself is forgotten, faith and love will not last long. If we forget what it costs God to redeem us from our sins through Jesus' death, we will not long trust Him in life's trials or love Him enough to obey Him in times of temptation. And the cure is to remember. And remembering is what this psalm is about. We need to remember all that God has done. What Asaph calls to mind, particularly in this section, are the plagues, that God brought on the Egyptians. Surely one of the greatest single displays of God's character and judgments in history. He doesn't list all the plagues, all the ten, but he gives a good description of at least six of them. The turning of the Nile River into blood, the plague of flies, possibly including the multiplication of frogs, the locusts, the hail, and finally the killing of all the firstborn of Egypt. The plagues that are mentioned build forcefully toward that last terrible judgment of God against the firstborn, which is then placed in sharp and beautiful contrast to the way God led his people out of Egypt like a flock of timid but self and trusting sheep. And so, verse 52. He brought his people out like a flock, led them like sheep through the wilderness. He guided them safely so they were unafraid, but the sea engulfed their enemies. And so he brought them to the border of his holy land to the hill country of his right hand the hill country his right hand had taken he drove out nations before them and allotted their lands to them as an inheritance he settled the tribes of Israel in their homes Okay good now everything's going to be okay And despite this grace in response to their sin more sin verse 56 But they put God to the test and rebelled against the Most High. They did not keep His statutes like their ancestors. And then it goes on to remind what their ancestors had done. Grace, sin, judgment, grace. So we must, friends, we should consider the past so we can be instructed, be reminded, be warned, become grateful, sane. So that we don't repeat the cycle of sin. And lastly, for renewal. The last eight verses, verses 65 through 72, are about how God established Judah as the tribe through whom the Messiah would come and David as the king from the tribe. It is from David that the ultimate king comes in the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we celebrate next Sunday for Christmas. And this is all because of God's gracious promise, and He keeps His promises in spite of us, and He keeps those promises in spite of us in Jesus Christ, says 2 Corinthians chapter 1. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Grace. In judgment, grace in Christ. And when you are in Christ, that judgment becomes fatherly discipline, which is a grace in itself, which is designed as any earthly father who loves their child will do, will discipline them to prepare them then for tomorrow. And that's what our heavenly father does for us. So God shows fidelity when we show infidelity. You see it in our own lives. You see it in the lives of others. And the Bible reminds us of it. Here's the great news. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13 says this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Because for he cannot disown himself. You see the reason that God keeps coming back after you, keeps coming back after me, messes though we are, is because we are part of his, we are his body. In order for him to dismiss me, he would have to disown himself. And that's what this verse is saying. If we're faithless, he still remains faithful because he cannot. Disown himself. He cannot cast out one who is a genuine part of his body. Christ cannot disown himself, and therefore he will not deny even wavering members of his own body. True children of God cannot become something other than children, even when disobedient and weak. Christ's faithfulness to Christians is not contingent on ours. Thanks be to God. And so here's your take home truth God is faithful. Even when we are faithless, let's bow together. Our Father, we thank you again for the blessing of this sacred time together to sing praise to you to pray to you, to give back to you, but then to open your book and to be reminded there of who you are, your character, your gracious character, despite our wavering. And so we thank you, Lord, that you brought us to yourself through the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you brought us into and made us part of the body of Christ. We thank you for the security and confidence that we have then, that you will never let us go. But Father, Help us not to then take your grace for granted ever. Sin has a price, sometimes a very high price in our lives. And sometimes it affects others that you have brought us into contact with that we are to influence for for you, particularly parents before their children. And so Lord, help us to seek to be and desire to be faithful people, remembering, not forgetting what you have done for us. And as a result then, Lord, we will face temptation differently. As a result, we will go through trials differently because we lean on you, we understand your goodness to us, and we understand most of all that you have given us infinitely more than we deserve. Help us then to do that this week and bring glory to you, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, just before our closing song, we have some folks who are joining our church, so if you guys will come on up. And I say joining, but uh, these guys are actually rejoining. This is James and Sharon Sternberg. And James and Sharon were with us way back when our church used to meet at the Woodhaven High School. And then they were still with us when we moved into this building, but only shortly after that, because then they relocated out to Kalamazoo area, where they have been for the last several years. And here a couple of months ago, they moved back. And they're living on the island, and they've come back to CBC, and we're delighted that they have. They were beloved and faithful members when they were here, and they will be a good readdition to our our church. So we're going to vote on receiving them back into membership. This vote is kind of twofold. It's uh, voting on receiving them into membership and forgiving them for, for leaving in the first place. <laughs> All in favor, say amen. All right, you guys are back in. Welcome back. (laughs) Let's stand for our closing song.
1: for coming right outside these doors until 11:15 we have our time of cafe community there's coffee bagels other refreshments out there at 11:15 we'll meet back in this room for our second hour